0: I create individualized healthcare plans so that people get the most out of what they're looking for. So based on their medical background, um, which is helpful because I, I do internal medicine. And so I give them alternatives. And if, if people are interested in those types of alternatives, like gluten-free, um, you know, if they've got some sort of sensitivities, well, they want to know. They can't eat certain grains that I normally would tell people that they should be eating because it's good for them. Well, yes, it's good for them. But if you have a you know, sensitivity to it, you can't,
1: are you ready to upgrade your health to a new level and do so by learning from experts in the field of lifestyle medicine and plant based nutrition? Well, you are in the right place. Welcome to the Plant Based DFW Podcast Weekly Show. We are your hosts, Dr. Rizwan Bukhari and Maya Acosta. Every week, we will feature guests who are either physicians, dietitians, health coaches, or chefs, who will tell us about their journeys towards becoming plant based and how they have helped others. And as you dive into the episodes, never forget: the more you implement these healthy lifestyle changes, the more you will upgrade your health. Meet Laura Greenberg, who is a plant-based physician assistant with over twenty years of experience and resides just outside of Dallas, Texas. She is also the CEO of Feeling Fabulous, which is a coaching program designed to offer support for individuals looking to adopt a plant based lifestyle. She's also board certified in lifestyle medicine, which makes this conversation even more interesting for me. We talk about what life has been like for her as she continues to quarantine herself while working as a hospitalist in order to keep her patients safe. Prior to the pandemic, Laura was very active in the community, offering food demos and lectures. And like many of us, she has had to transition her work to online programs. I will add all her links in the show notes, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks again for listening. So, welcome, Laura.
0: Thank you, Maya. Um, I've been a PA for about twenty-three years, and I've worked in multiple settings, um, which include family practice. I've done internal medicine, urgent care, ER. And now I do hospital medicine. Uh, But over the past, oh gosh, 23 years, I've been seeing the same diseases over and over again. Um, And all we're doing is coming out with newer and better drugs, but we weren't really taking care of the main problem, which was people's lifestyles. And unfortunately, our education wasn't equipped for that. Um, As a PA, most of my nutrition class was based on vitamin deficiencies that you would see in third world countries, not necessarily in the U S where they fortify everything. And, um, so they were really not focusing on, on how to reverse and prevent the diseases. And I was getting frustrated because I just kept seeing the same things over and over again, especially more of at a younger age, obesity has not changed. It's gotten progressively worse in the U S, considering that we are one of the wealthiest nations. And, um, when I found out about lifestyle medicine through a colleague, actually, um, I started looking into it and I got really excited because they offered you know the education that I needed to actually help my patients um, become healthier. So then I started to get into the, the plant-based movement because um, after reading the studies that they never actually talked to us about and um, during the schooling, that I started looking more into it and they had more studies out there that plant-based was really like a very um, important key factor in actually reversing and preventing our diseases. Uh, so, the, um, so that's why I became like a board certified member of the American Academy of Lifestyle Medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a large PA movement with lifestyle medicine now which is awesome that I can talk to my colleagues about um, and see what they're doing. They're doing some of them are doing a lot of research. Some of them have written like manuals for school education for PAs. Some of us have actually like, um, they've done, um, some books and some plant-based classes. And so a lot of them are really getting into the, um, the education Mm
1: -hmm.
0: for doing that. And I, I actually felt so, um, energized, by that, that I started to actually incorporate that into my own lifestyle and I've noticed large changes um, in how I feel. So now I feel that it's important to actually, you know, discuss with not just my patients, but I decided to start my own consulting business that um, to help others get off their medication and live healthier lifestyles, because Mm -hmm. that's really what we're all about is, is about boosting our immune systems, especially in this COVID pandemic, that it's really important to, um, to stay healthy because that is how we're, we're going to prevent um, ourselves from getting COVID and the flu and all kinds of these um, airborne diseases that, that affect us adversely because the ones that are the worst that I see in the hospitals are the ones that have the most comorbidities.
1: Before we move forward with that, can you um, describe for our listeners what a PA is? And what kind of training does that entail? And how closely do you work with other physicians?
0: So a PA learns like 80% of what the physicians do in half the time. And we're board certified. We also have to recertify for our boards. Um, It was every seven years. Now it's every 10 years, um, because we're following a line of the physician model. Uh, We also have to have a hundred credits of continuing medical education every two years. The state of Texas requires, I think it's like 30 or 35 credits a year um, to maintain our license. So we really have to um, do keep up with our education, which is, I feel really important with all the newest things that are coming out. Medicine is so fluid that you have to keep up with everything. Um, And, The amazing part is that the uh, American College of Lifestyle Medicine also offers CME. um, And we also have to uh, maintain a certain amount of credits per year to stay um, certified also. And it also counts towards uh, my PA license for the national certification. So it's really convenient that I I don't necessarily have to do hospital medicine, you know, education. I can also do the lifestyle medicine uh, education. And we worked very closely with the physicians, but we're also pretty independent. It's really, um, if we need to ask them a question, but we're really qualified to do so much and we do surgeries and we're very qualified to to handle all different types of specialties.
1: So when you say you do surgeries, are you assisting in the surgery?
0: EAs come from um, medics in the military. That's what they were, it was designed for as a medic continuation program, um, how they decided that they were going to come up with a PA program. Mm -hmm. Um, And the medics in the field, they do all kinds of things. They do actually more than they do in, you know, allowed to do Mm -hmm. um, in offices and in hospitals. So that's how they came about.
1: You were saying that you've discovered that there are a lot of PAs that are now sort of incorporating lifestyle medicine into their programs. And so you guys have built this sort of community, I guess.
0: Yes. Um, And And it's really interesting, especially in Dallas, that, uh, um, the plant-based community is growing. Mm-hmm. You know they were offering more vegan restaurants and plant-based cooking classes, and so they were offering all different types of um, opportunities for people to learn more about uh, the plant-based movement, um, not just from you know an environmental standpoint, but from a health standpoint.
1: Yes, I remember seeing you on social media being very active, doing your demonstrations at, for example, Veridescent prior to COVID-19. So. Feeling Fabulous is designed to work closely with individuals who want to make a change. How has that changed now?
0: Well, the COVID pandemic has changed a lot of different things. So I, I was doing demonstrations at iridescent, I was doing them at uh, the Heritage Senior Center, uh, at Natural Grocers. Uh, I would rent out the kitchen um, and it was great. However, these things have changed. Um, and so I no longer do that, probably not until next year, um, at least uh, until things have, have calmed down a bit and it's safer to actually hold them in the, in the restaurants um, because you can't be six feet apart from people in small areas. And it's hard to talk to people with wearing, when you're wearing a mask. <laughs> so I, I basically just keep it to Zoom um, and I do it individually or through the group sessions, but I do it through Zoom and um, some of the things that I had offered like uh, the in-home cooking classes, well, that's on Zoom. The uh, pantry, uh, going over people's pantries, well, that's also on Zoom. Mm -hmm. So you can do a lot without having to go into people's homes now to make it so that they feel more comfortable because I, um, I also work in the hospital setting, so I am still quarantining myself I have not gone to restaurants and I have not gone to bars and clubs or anything because um, I'm around COVID patients all the time. I'm geared up with wearing my mask and my, I call it headgear. So, because it's a, it's a visor with the the gowns and everything so that I don't also get it, but I also don't want to give it to others. Uh, you know, especially if I'm asymptomatic and I don't know if I even have it or not. So I, I'm, changing the way that I'm doing things with my business. So I'm trying to keep most of it most of virtual.
1: Yes, I get it. We canceled everything, even our community walks. You know, uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, it wouldn't make sense to be walking six feet away from each other as a group and then not be able to interact the way we used to. So it's uh, we put everything on hold as well. So you know, you're actually the first person that I speak with that has been working at a hospital since COVID um, and continues to work. And I'm interested. I don't know how much you can share with us. But what was it like for you when COVID first hit? And did you ever stop working at the hospital? Or it's been ongoing this entire time for you?
0: When it first started, um, I work in um, at Hunt Regional Medical Center in Greenville, Texas. So it's about 62 miles away from where I currently live right now. Um, And it's north of Royce City. So I wasn't, we weren't really impacted at the beginning um, when COVID was really hitting the DFW area. So we didn't really feel the impact. However, it didn't take long, did not take long. Um, Probably around, that was like in March, probably around April, May, we really started to get more COVID patients and we continue to do so Um, actually in more numbers now than we did initially. Uh, We have more people in the ICU. are very sick and they're actually getting younger in the beginning they were the elderly that were really getting sick now it's um it's progressively gotten so that the younger population is getting so we still have the elderly people getting it but a lot of the younger ones are getting it because they didn't think that they could get it you know they didn't take it as seriously they didn't wear their, their masks appropriately you know wearing it under your nose um and wearing it as a bandana or a, uh, or a scarf does not does not count for, for the coverage that you really need for this airborne disease and it's quite interesting because a lot of people there are more people that probably have it than than they actually are symptomatic and they don't and now we're seeing that uh, people are coming in with many different types of symptoms not just respiratory problems that also have covid that we never expected but we also know more about it which is which is a positive thing i try to tell my patients um, even before this, how to get healthier. So I was even doing the lifestyle changes with patients before COVID hit, because I kept seeing the same things and people didn't understand why they kept, you know, coming back to the hospital. And that's where I was seeing that gap between, you know, what, um, what they were coming in for and the, the gap of the huge knowledge gap of what to do after they got out of the hospital you know, we tell them very quickly, we give them handouts, some of those handouts are conflicting, you know, they have heart disease, but they have diabetes. So some people can't eat certain foods. Um, so they wonder if they can eat any food. And then they decide that they don't want to do anything because it's just too much of a hassle.
1: Yeah, I, I, I once heard someone say the standard American diet vegan style. <laughs> That is
0: the problem. There is a lot of unhealthy vegan food out there, Mm -hmm. um, which is really convenient and tastes just like meat. And, um, but the problem is they're putting all kinds of other things in it, like salt and sugar. And well, those things are actually pretty bad for you. So um, you have to really be careful about, you know, eating the American vegan diet because, you know, French fries are considered vegan, but yet they're not healthy. So, um, So I teach people alternative ways um, of eating and I basically start from where they're at. And so some of the services that I offer, I offer different types of programs for people that are just like very basic um, to the or to the extent that they really want to be very intensive Mm -hmm. about changing um, their diets. And I get a lot of history from them, extensive amounts of questions about people's lifestyles. And I'll tell you, mm-hmm. there are a lot of people that felt very uncomfortable answering those questions because they felt that I would judge them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Based on their answers, they didn't even realize what they were doing until they actually started to document it. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. a big eye opener. And I'm like, look, I we have to start from somewhere and I need to know what you're actually doing so that we can actually help you make a change. Because either way, um, you know, if you continue to do what you're doing and I don't know what you're doing and you're trying to lie and make yourself look better, then I'm not going to be able to help you as, as much as I probably would if I actually knew what you were really doing. When patients tell me how much they drink, how much alcohol they drink, if they even exercise, I'll tell you, I have to double the amount of alcohol that they drink OK, because when they say oh, they drink socially, I'm like, OK, what's socially? Oh, you know, a couple of drinks a day. Well, how many drinks a day? Like, are we talking one or two? Are we talking a standard beer size? Are we talking a tall boy? You know, you have to start asking all these questions because, They're like, Oh, you know, one or two a day.
1: Well, if I can kind of add to this, Laura, I recently interviewed an obesity medicine specialist, and we talked about really how uncomfortable some physicians are about addressing weight issues with their patients. So I went to my Facebook groups. And on some of them, I posted how often does your physician address your weight issues. And I rephrased it a variety of different ways and started this intensive conversation that I really didn't expect. There was a lot of feedback. But what it allowed me to see is that many people feel shamed by their doctors, they feel judged. They sometimes feel like the physicians kind of look the other way and pretend like they don't notice these situations. So I say all of that to ask, how can we feel comfortable speaking with our physicians and being just honest without feeling judged?
0: The problem is, is that um, physicians and PAs and nurse practitioners like all of us, all, we, you know, we all struggle with the same problems, okay? And when we're not doing the right things, it's really hard for us to actually start to say, well, you need to do this, mm-hmm. okay? We don't make them a part of the program. So, um, <clears throat> and that's, they, they don't become active participants. They're just told what to do. Mm-hmm. And we know how that works. It doesn't. It's like a reminder of what your parents used to do when you were growing up. Eat more vegetables, brush your teeth, Get eight hours of sleep. And so they're like, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm a grown adult. I can do whatever I want. And that's the problem. Telling people what to do never work. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to start from a point where let's come up with a plan together. Of what are you willing to change to help you get to that point? Because a lot of people, unfortunately, they just want that magic pill. They don't want to do the work. And when they think they want to do the work, they realized they didn't really want to do the work. Mm-hmm. So I have patients like that where clients where they, they were with me for a few months and they're like, you know, um, we would work on things, but they still wouldn't do it. And I'm wondering, okay, so what's the roadblock? What is, what's the point that's holding you up? Because that's what we need to take care of. A lot of it. I mean, I would say hundred percent of it is all mental. It's the belief, the lack of belief. So motivation only keeps going so long. You mm-hmm. have to believe that you can do something that you're worthy of being healthy of feeling better of feeling the way you want to mm-hmm. a lot of people don't feel worthy of that and it's surprising you'd be very shocked it's all psychological
1: would you say that lifestyle medicine training has given you the tools to better understand patients but also better work with them
0: well it's a it was an eye opener It really was it was an eye opener. And yes, it does help discuss these things with patients because no one ever had we don't have the time in the office to talk to these people about it.
1: Like for example, I don't think a physician necessarily would ever know how to guide a patient towards discovering their why, why they want to make these significant changes. I don't know if SMART goals are only taught by lifestyle medicine, but they, you know, to create sustainable and realistic goals, that is something that I think can help people as well.
0: Well, and the other thing is people think short term, so they get really frustrated if they don't lose the weight quickly or, or um, see the results really quickly. And because it's all about instantaneous gratification. And well, you know, it took you a while to get to that point. Okay built on many different uh habits that you formed that to break down those habits and redo you know and restart new ones well that takes time Mm -hmm. and people have to realize that it's it may not be that quickly they may start to feel better but they may not see like that that quick okay i've lost 10 pounds in a week well that's not realistic they have to realize that these goals, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint.
1: And it's work, which is why we usually always tell people to find a support group. Because there's only so much a physician can do. Of course, like yourself, you've developed a program separate from the work that you do at the hospital. So that I mean, this is what you do and you specialize in but not all physicians are equipped to work. Um, and you know, hold a patient's hand. It's a so lot of handholding. Do you have a Facebook group?
0: I have a Facebook page but I don't have a Facebook group.
1: Because you're in the process again of sort of uh, redesigning your website and your programs to be available virtually.
0: Yes. And um, I'll be honest, I'm not a fan of the virtual reality kind of situation. (laughs) I'm not. Um, Same here. And it's it's quite hard. uh, And it's pretty hard to actually do those those cooking demos through Zoom.
1: I'm not a fan of Facebook Lives uh, when they're not done well. That's not to say that I don't watch some of them, because at the end of the day, I can look past all the production and really focus on the content and appreciate that. Um, however, there are have been two organizations that have done it well, I and I've paid to attend their virtual um, work. One of them is PCRM when they've done four-hour day um kind of like an immersion program. So I I signed up for the Spanish one, I signed up for the English one. It's a team, though, it's a team that's working together. And they have food demos. And some of these people that are doing food demos have two cameras, so they can switch from their face to that the food, but they have someone helping them. And the other one has been the Esselstyn family, you know, Rip Esselstyn's kitchen rescue and the plant stock were so well put together. I love them. I did pay to participate. But also, they have a chat window. So you can continuously chat with people that are attending, and be excited about being part of the community and talk about what you're learning. And then after that, they send you the videos, so that you can watch them over and over again. So those kind of programs I love, I aspire to, I don't think I can pull that off. I I mean, it's too intense, and you need money to stream those kind of things.
0: That's true. And so and the retreats are also the same way, even if I did them online, Well, I'm not the only one doing the retreat, I'm having colleagues come in and help me with these things. Because, you know, there's different, there's education portions and the cooking portions. Mm -hmm. um, And then there's the question and answer portion. So it is it is a team event. It's not a one person standalone. It's really hard to do it all. Lifestyle medicine is a team event.
1: It is. Can you tell us more about that? Because that's one thing that I love about lifestyle medicine. If but if we could have kind of like a direct pay um, center, then we could have a dietitian. we can have the physician, we can have um, everyone else who's involved in coaching and working with the in the individual. So
0: I thought about that a, a while ago, you need the investment, the investors for that. It's it's quite expensive to have all these people under one roof offer their services. Um, so that people get the the whole experience and not just the the portion here, the portion there experience. And that's um, and to keep it under the same roof, it's so convenient for people instead of having to you know, go from one place to the other. Um, and if everybody was on the same page, that also is important because mm-hmm. some people, they don't believe in lifestyle medicine or they don't believe in plant-based diets. They're thinking that the keto diet is the best thing out there. And so, well, that's definitely not going to work mm-hmm. because everybody's got to be on the same page with the type of education that they're offering um, so that people get the the biggest benefit out of it, when they start hearing conflicting information, that's the biggest problem right there.
1: And, and that conflicting information exists everywhere all the time. So and it,
0: from physicians, I from know. physicians. And so this is a problem because they don't know what they don't know. It's like telling people that Atkins was the best diet, but Atkins died of heart disease. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's the biggest problem. I mean, I grew up with Atkins, I did, and I recommended it to, to my patients back in back in the early '90s, or actually, I would say the mid '90s. I was doing it myself, not knowing that like it was horribly, it was so bad for you. You know, eating cheese and saturated fat cannot be good for
1: you. How vocal are you about these ideas with your um, with your coworkers at the hospital?
0: Not a whole lot. Okay, there are some that I can talk to and have a dialogue. Okay. And then there are others that completely just shut you down. They don't even want to hear about it. They Mm -hmm. think that what they know is the, the, um, the most evidence-based. Okay. And sure. Anybody can lose weight on any kind of diet, Mm -hmm. right? You can do the grapefruit diet. You can do the keto diet. You can do the low calorie diet and you're still going to lose weight. Okay. Because when you feel full, okay, you'll not eat less, you'll eat less and you'll eat less calories. That's the way it works. Okay, but the problem is there's a right way of losing weight, and then there's the wrong way, so you can still lose weight with anything but um so I have a colleague that is a um she's a nutritionist she believes in plant based which is great, so we talk all the time. you know, I totally recommend her to talk to my patients because you know, she's telling them the same things that I'm telling them. It's important to get that information out there. I, I talk to my patients. I recommend books. I recommend cooking classes. I give them my own, um, my YouTube website. I don't do anything that I would charge them for because I, you know, ethically Mm -hmm. speaking, I don't think it's appropriate. However, they have access to what I do online. Um, and then they can also ask me questions. So I allow them that type of access um, even though I don't work with them as a, as a personal client, okay? I direct them.
1: What is one food that you ask people to sort of stop consuming if they can right now?
0: Number one thing is soda. And so basically, I have to tell them, you have to wean yourself down. You can't go cold turkey, because you're really going to feel horrible between the sugar and the caffeine and whatever chemicals are putting in that that change your brain chemistry, that you really have to start weaning yourself down.
1: I know every individual is different in terms of how you work with them. You, you meet them probably where they're at. What is an example of how you would guide an individual towards making a change? So let's
0: say they like a lot of bread. So common, right? Everybody (laughs) likes bread. Well, you know, if they are only into white bread, um, I, I, I basically say, okay, so you like white bread. Do you like dark bread? Because the darker the grain, the healthier it is. Mm -hmm. So if you, um, instead of doing white bread or, Enriched white flour, which is multi—it's the uh, multi-grain bread. Okay, mm-hmm. well, that's enriched white flour, but people don't think so. You know, they're thinking, no, oh, it's still tan color. It still should be okay, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's not. And some of the wheat breads are not real wheat; it's enriched white flour. So I try to tell them, I'm like, okay, these are the things you want to look for on the ingredients. Um, but the darker the bread, like pumpernickel and rye, those are the type of breads that you want to change it to and also decrease the amount that you're eating on a daily basis, because bread has a lot of salt. And so if they're trying to cut down on their blood pressure medications, or they have heart failure problems, well, that's, that's crucial, because there's a lot of salt in bread.
1: I read labels like never before, like never, never before my life. But when I realized that, for example, you just touched on salt, that the highest level of salt is really found either eating out or processed foods that you buy at the grocery store, like the canned foods and things like that. So now, when I am buying um, diced tomatoes, for example, or marinara sauce, if I'm not making it at home, I look because I never knew, for example, that marinara had not only salt, but sugar and oil. And, uh, and also the hummus, like, for example, I thought hummus was okay. And then someone once told me, have you ever seen the oil content? I thought, well, if it's not drizzled on the top, it must be okay. No, they use a lot of oil as well.
0: So I try to tell people, okay, you need to start looking at that. There are brands that are oil-free, mm-hmm. okay, that you can start to buy. Or I give them recipes of how to make hummus, which is pretty pricey. But when they're just buying it from the store, the, the ingredients, well, it's a lot cheaper buying garbanzo beans, lemon and you make it oil free. And so that way you control how much you're actually putting in
1: Yes, let's go back to the fact that you you said early on that you still have been quarantining yourself because you're working at the hospital. So you're around patients and you don't want to put them at risk. What has that been like for you? Well, I'll be
0: honest, it's it is a little lonely. I'm a hugger. It's not just me that's affected. It's all the elderly people. Okay, they can't get out. They can't do things. They can't go to senior centers that are still closed because that was their main form of relationships because they're not online. They're, you know, a lot of them don't know how to use Zoom and FaceTime and and Skype. So it it actually is quite detrimental for people's emotional health, um, this pandemic. And so you have to learn to be like flexible. So I can't hug. Okay. So I can see people on zoom. I can do zoom meetings where I'm on FaceTime. I see my parents all the time because they live in New York city. And I was very worried about it in the beginning uh, because it was huge in New York and people were dying left and right that uh, that my parents who were high risk also just based on age. Okay. My dad is relatively healthy, you know, so I had to learn that, okay, I can't see my parents now. That means I have to quarantine myself for two weeks. Well, then I can't work so that I've, I've utilized, you know, you know, the different various the various forms of the videos for for me to keep in touch with people and feel close to them. It's a lot better than staying on the phone. OK, mm-hmm. and way better than texting.
1: But there's only so much that you can handle. I haven't seen my family in Arizona. I haven't seen my family in Houston. And it's just like this. And. Im- Im- incredible disconnect from family that I can only handle so much because I don't have family here. At least I don't know if I had family here, you know, I could stand outside their door or something like that and see them. Um, And I'm like you, I am a big time hugger. And so that has really created a void in me of not being able to touch other people not being able to console when I see someone crying. So is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners?
0: I like empowering people. It's empowering people to make the best decisions for themselves so that they can actually live healthier lifestyles and feel as fabulous as they want to feel, which also includes keeping accountability because we all need it. Okay. I'm not any different than anyone else. And I also, I also have accountability partners because it's important. We all slide. We all do, you know, things that we know are not that healthy for us, but everybody needs accountability. I create individualized healthcare plans so that people get the most out of what they're looking for. So based on their medical background, um, which is helpful because I, I do internal medicine and um, from the standpoint of, of a coaching st- um, standpoint of what to do and give them alternatives, especially if they have different allergies. So I give them alternatives And if if people are interested in those type of alternatives, like gluten-free, you know, if they've got some sort of sensitivities, well, they want to know they can't eat certain grains that I normally would tell people that they should be eating because it's good for them. Well, yes, it's good for them. But if you have a a sensitivity to it, you can't. So you have to be fluid about um, how you individualize what they're eating. So basically, I empower my clients to take back their health and become active participants um in their medical care by creating these individualized healthcare plans. Um, and if they're interested they can contact me at www.feelingfablmc.com it's f e e l i n g f a b l m c.com. Um and that's my Wix website they can they can get a hold of me. I have pictures that um I put on Instagram that show up on my website. It shows events events that I used to have but um But it also has events that I will be having virtually. Mm -hmm. So once I start to change up my website a bit to kind of equip myself for the for the, you know, for this pandemic and not being able to do things, you know, in person, but they can easily access me. And then they can also see my YouTube videos, too, because there's Mm -hmm. links
1: we're all going through this transitional time where I think people are a little bit more forgiving about what is not available. And then I think by 2021, we will have a smoother ride. not to mention a lot of people are who have never been very savvy when it comes to logging in going on zoom and all of that. I think people are kind of working on their skills a little bit. So it's just you know, we're all transitioning slowly.
0: It's also been a learning experience for me. You know, um, Working in the hospital, quarantining myself, I'm having the same issues that a lot of people are having mm-hmm. and trying to be more flexible about how I go about doing things. I've also slowed down quite a bit, mm-hmm. uh, especially since my health is also important. Mm-hmm. I was really going at a breakneck speed, not technically a healthy speed because i um, working full-time in the hospital and then I had the, had this business plus I was doing, um, I was working in a clinic, doing lifestyle medicine consults. So I was really in a lot of different places. This pandemic has showed me that I I really do need to slow down for my own health, um, for my own mental well being. Uh, because the most important person is is you and me um, right now. And and it's okay to take a breather and to slow down. And that's what I have learned is that it's really important. It's also made people aware that they, you know, cooking is a good thing, especially when the restaurants were closed. They were looking for different options about like what they could make because, you know, it gets boring after a while and some people don't know how to cook at all.
1: Well, it's the same thing here. We were working and working and staying pretty busy and now it's it's slowed down. Of course, now I'm staying busy again with this. But it's actually, it's enriching for me because I get to communicate with people like yourself who who believe in things that I also believe in. And so for me, it's encouraging. It's like, well, it's it's a different direction. I used to like meeting people in person and doing more live events. But this is gratifying as well.
0: I think so. Especially yep. when uh, you were really busy last yep. year. <laughs> And it was so hard for us to even connect. Yeah, yeah. And no one ever thought about doing Zoom back then, okay, which yeah. was crazy. Uh, but now it's like, oh, look, now we can actually talk to each other through Zoom, and have a conversation.
1: It was crazy because, like I said, my husband never stopped working. He still, a surgeon. And then last year, he gave about 12 different lectures all over the place. And we were really, really busy on top of interviewing because I was do- using zoom, but for people that that were outside of our city. And that's it,
0: how I got and I had I'm like, I, I really had to slow things down because I couldn't, I felt that the pace that I was keeping was not healthy. And I was getting more stressed than it was worse. I'll be honest with you. It was really an eye opener because I I was thinning myself out all over the place. And I just, I couldn't keep track of what was happening.
1: But it's part of the drive, isn't it? The passion that you have for wanting to spread the word that keeps you like, you don't want to stop because you know you can help people. Like you can help people right now. All you need to do is just share the information. And if they buy into it, they can take care of themselves, which is very different than just writing prescriptions. So before
0: COVID, I was doing lectures also. Okay. um, And talking about different... um, different problems, how to slow down the progression and reverse Alzheimer's. And Mm -hmm. so I was talking about different, different topics. I was doing it through YouTube. Uh,
1: Do we want to mention at all your YouTube channel? Because I know you're going through some changes as well.
0: And I have cooking classes that I've, um, cooking demos that I've done. And I've had lectures that I've also done.
1: So you have resources on your YouTube channel. So I do. All right. And they can get
0: a hold of me through YouTube also.
1: Well, it's been a pleasure getting to know you, Laura, and speaking with you this way and uh, stay safe. I know that you're staying busy, but stay safe as well. Thank Thank you so much.
0: And I appreciate the interview.
1: It was great talking to you again. Been listening to the Plant Based DFW podcast show. If you like our content, please like, share and leave a review. Our goal is to provide quality episodes to help support the community.